Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number five. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, and discover the treasure in Christianity. Have you ever read a book, thought it was a one-star review, and then gone to Amazon and found that everyone else thought it was a five-star review? We find ourselves in a similar situation this week. We'll talk about it more. We hope you'll join in that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash five. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. Not last time, but the time before we had talked about, I mean, you had really put out the question of, listen, um, you know, there are these people who read Not a Fan. There are all these five-star reviews, and these people are talking about this really positive effect of the book or maybe something transformative that's come about through reading the book. And yet we're talking about the book, and we're talking about it largely in negative terms. And um, how can these two things be right? You know, and so out of this, we had talked about, or maybe maybe we'd summarized our discussion as being about two ways of reading the Bible. You know, on the one hand, reading it uh, for the maybe purpose of of devotion, reading it as someone who's looking for God to sort of communicate to them, and, and in a way that would rightly orient them to God, versus say a more maybe academic or intellectual approach to the Bible where um, there, there may well be a, an interest uh, in being rightly oriented to God through that reading, but we're scrutinizing the text in a much more uh, specific way, in a much more intense way, and we're bringing certain practices and tools, if you like, to bear, bringing things like commentaries and working with an understanding of something like, you know, what is exegesis? Um, and that, you know, both of those perspectives have, um, have their positives, their pros, and both of them have their negatives, their, their cons. And one of the things that I raised out of that discussion was that um, if we're speaking to someone, if I was, for example, speaking with someone who um, reads the Bible typically for devotion, who is not someone who is particularly trained or, uh, you know, in... in theology or exegesis, and not someone who typically brings a commentary to, you know, it sits the commentary uh, beside their Bible, let's say, on the, on the table. Um, and, and they're telling me, for instance, keeping with our, the context of our conversation, that they've read a book like Not a Fan, and they've had a very positive experience, and that when they read the Bible, it kind of works out for them in, in directions maybe similar to what Not a Fan would suggest. And my first response would be, wow, I mean, that's, that sounds really great. Sounds like that's really important to you. And tell me more. And we sort of walk down that sort of trajectory of tell me more. And we walk down the, uh, to the point where we were, I guess, talking about the idea that um, even if people may not think that the idea of being a trained interpreter of the Bible is important, they're at least familiar with that notion. Whereas the other notion that's very, I think, clearly linked to this is the notion of being a trained interpreter of your own experience. 
Because part people aren't just saying, listen, I read the Bible and it makes more sense to me. They're telling from the stories that we've read from Not a Fan and from some of the experiences that you've recounted to me, um, these are people who are saying that my life has been changed and my experience is richer, more diverse, more fulfilling. And so the comment that I was making was, this point about interpreting our experience is on the one hand equally valid, but on the other hand, it's almost completely obscured. It's not even on the map. The notion that we have to do this or that we do this all the time without really reflecting on it. The part that trips me up is thinking about, okay, well, where do you take this then? Because mm-hmm. it would it would see, so, in, and this is some of my background, which was maybe equating a little bit experience with emotions that that you mm-hmm. can't totally trust the way you're feeling because um they're just emotions they're just feelings and uh you you can't trust those you you have to really put your trust in in something that's more concrete than than the fleetingness of your emotions so i guess where I'm, well, i guess where that goes though is to me, it kind of throws everything wide open. Almost, if we're totally interpreting our experiences, how do we even know what experience we're having and when we're having the right interpretation or the wrong interpretation? Or I'm just thinking my own quote experience, where mm-hmm. I, with this orientation, I place so much doubt on on the experience that I was having and that I was having the right experience or the right feelings mm-hmm. that I finally swung in the other direction, maybe to an extreme, and just said, "Screw it!" Like. This is how I feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the way I see it, and I'm going to respond based on that. And I'm going to spend a lot less time trying to think: Did I have the right experience? Am I having the right feeling? It's like what is uh-huh. is. Let's move forward. So, uh-huh. does that mean that that my interpretations were always always correct? No, I'm. I, I'm, I don't need any convincing that that maybe some of the conclusions that I've come to about Christianity and my experiences of Christianity are not accurate and they've kind of led me astray. But I guess I've just come to the point personally where it's the fact I'm going to choose between, oh, there's no way to understand, you know, or trust what I'm feeling or experiencing. I'm throwing that aside. I'm going to go the other direction to say, no, if I'm going to lean one direction or the other, it's that I know what I'm experiencing. I know what I'm feeling. I may not understand why, but I'm going to start from the position that I I have a good reading of what's going on. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. And, and it's interesting how you've raised this idea of like what you're supposed to be experiencing. And, and I guess when I'm thinking about experience, you know, oftentimes from my just from my background of having gone through some very difficult. Uh, situations in my life, and I remember. Um, I remember on one occasion, uh, it was just after. So my father and brother died in a car crash. Uh, my father was um, uh, clearly, clearly the cause of this. Uh, no dispute whatsoever. He was uh, traveling uh, the equivalent of a hundred miles an hour in a fifty zone. Uh, he was, uh, he had, he had been drinking, um, just clearly killed himself, killed my brother, killed another young couple, orphaned their kids. And, um, I had a, an acquaintance, uh, you know, I was at university. So a lot of people, a lot of my peers were really shocked by this event. 
And one of the fellows wrote me, and I, you know, and I, I, I understand that this was nothing that was poorly intentioned, but he, <laughs> he finished his, 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 his sympathy card to me with the words, don't be mad at God. <laughs> and I just thought, why the hell not? Why the hell would I not be mad at God? You know, so I guess it's in, that's a, a very extreme example, but in cases like that, where my, my emotions, my experience is telling me, hey, something's very wrong with this picture. The way that I've understood God is not such that things like this should be happening. Or if they are, there are some big, big pieces to my picture that are missing. Um, and yeah, and when I'm, when I'm saying experiences, I'm thinking specifically of being at church in mm-hmm. high school. The lights are all dim. The worship band is playing. People are putting their hands in the air. And everyone's in love with Jesus. And I'm like, I'm not even sure he's in the building. <laughs> See, and I think we're talking about two very, very different sorts of things. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm talking about, when I'm talking about valuing experience, I think what I'm talking about really is taking a lot of time to weigh up major life events or taking, if they're not, allowing major life events to be that. You know, a lot of times my, my uh, experience of being with Christians is that certain things, that things are not given a weight based on how they impact us, but on how they should impact us. And that that should is applied by, um, I guess, religious norms and protocols that we pick up through our church, through our upbringing, etc. And I would question that. So, in other words, I deeply questioned and, you know, even at the time, rejected my acquaintances' um, notion that I shouldn't be mad at God. I was mad at God and, and certainly thought that's, that's exactly how I should be. And, um, and I would say that that's how somebody else should be as well. Uh, you know, what, what ultimately comes of that? You know, now I'm 20 some odd years down the road from that event and I'm not particularly mad at God. Um, there's been a lot of time to, you know, go over that event and for me to think about that event. And I guess ultimately for me to interpret that event is what I'm saying. So would it, would it be clear to say you you should feel you should you should experience whatever you experienced? That, yeah, I th- I think that so. whatever it is is. But then I yeah. get confused by this because then I hear you saying, "But we interpret those experiences." Well, yeah, I mean, there's no such thing as like raw experience, right? We're always kind of putting a meaning on it and giving a significance to it. This hurts you know, my head. <laughs> uh-huh. Well. I don't know. Like, I guess we shouldn't think that I, my perspective on this is that, that this is stuff that most of us, most of the time, do very easily and very well. Because well, wait, can, we're, can you first, we need to do it to navigate life. But can you def- start by defining experience? Like, just start, let's start at the beginning, because really, I don't think I get this. Okay. Well, okay. So, so let's take my, my example. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, uh, I've got a lot of philosophy books on my shelf and a lot of them have this thing like where they're talking about experience or maybe they're trying to talk about knowledge and they'll say, you know, I am sitting at my desk 
and the paper on my desk is appearing to me yeah. bluely, and my chair is appearing to me brownly. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, screw that. How about my dad just got killed, and he, he killed my brother, and he killed two other people, and I've got this essentially moron telling me not to get mad at God. Like that, now, that's something that's important. Give me something that's actually got some teeth to it, and then stick it in front of me, and we'll play with that, as opposed to the blue piece of paper and the brown chair. So right off the bat, I'll just say, you know, not to, dis, not to dismiss any of the philosophers that I've got, whose books I've got on my shelf, or any of the thoughts that are valuable in their books, but I think what we're talking about, what I want to talk about, are significant experiences that we may, in a certain sense, hang our hats on in terms of what we believe about ourselves, about God, and about the universe. So when we say experience, you're saying things that have happened to us. Things that have happened to us, things that happened we in have, our lives. Maybe they haven't happened directly to us, but we've, they've, they've happened and we've been there. There has been an impact on us and what we make of that impact, what we make of the event. So what I made of that event, like, you know, I can look at the sheer details of what happened in that accident. So the conclusions like, that you formed as a result of that event happening. Yes, Yes. Equals your experience. Yes. So I and many other people concluded that my father was at fault. I, can, I, I, I conclude the same way, right? I could read things a different way, but then I would have to ask myself, and this is, this is part, of the, part of the approach, right? Um, so different members of my family may attribute less blame to my father than, let's say, the media, the other family, the courts, and any bystanders or, or other sort of informed but really detached parties. And, and I would have to ask myself, I think those people in my family would have to ask themselves why. On what basis, you know, you've got all these people who are agreeing that he's blatantly at fault. And in, in my case, the only question was how much money was going to be paid in a lawsuit to the other people. Um, but if you're disagreeing with all these folks and the police – then why are you doing that? And ultimately, I think the big reason to do that is because you have, there's something about your identity that's tied up in this guy not being quite so at fault, not being quite such a bad guy in this situation. And I think this is the type of thing that's involved in dealing with some of these, these it doesn't have to be quite this large, right? It doesn't have to be somebody killing Somebody important in your life that, that, that kills themselves or kills other people in addition. But something that has an impact on you. Something that um, is a stepping stone towards how you will see, ultimately see yourself, the universe, God. And of course, we can't always know these things at the time. You know, we, but typically we can look back. Like I knew at the time that this was an incredibly major event. This is a life-changing event. Right? That was an Way. obvious thing to me. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's not always, our lives aren't always filled with these like clearly life-changing and clearly trivial. Like we, it's shades between the trivial and things you just totally forget and things that you'd never forget and, and that change your life irrevocably. But I want to, I guess what I want to do is I want to look at my conclusions out of that. And I want to look at where I take those conclusions, how I concluded what I concluded. I think that's really important. Right? And I think if I were to ask other members of my family why they may have concluded the way they did, I'm not sure that they would have much information for me. Right? Like, I'm not sure that they would 
be conscious of that process because being conscious of the process might call into question the conclusions that they've drawn. And that's exactly where I'm going, exactly where I'm going in terms of the Bible and in terms of Christianity and in terms of the, the events and sort of impact zones in our lives that contribute to how we understand God. So play that. I'm almost tracking you. Okay, so, so play that out in relation to your conclusions about God. So this horrible event happened. Sure. Your experience, you experienced it. Mm-hmm. You made certain c- conclusions about God, and I'm assuming they were conclusions about what God should or should not have done to allow this to happen. And if so, like play through what, how, how do you take different perspectives on that? Sure. Well, the God part is, is trickier, right? I mean, the conclusions I draw about my father being at fault uh, and about, you know, how to weigh up the various pieces of that, you know, accident and, and the various ramifications for various people. I mean, that's, that's kind of, it's, it's tricky, but it's more, more difficult in the sense of hard to swallow, you know, it's hard to swallow. It's hard to 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 see your parent as as uh, in that way, but it, it was true, and so I have to. In terms of God, um, I guess the conclusions that that I drew, I mean, I had had another, I had had other events that were arguably more severe than that. Particularly, I mean, my father was abusive to me, quite abusive to me as a child, and uh, that was not something that was known. That was very very covered up. That was not. You know, if if that would have been, I guess, uh, out on the streets, um, my life would have been a little different. Uh, I don't know, but but because I had that, in addition to my father causing this accident, and I had to kind of put all this together. My my big question was really a question more than anything else, but an angry question was, "Where is God?" And I didn't really have this big conclusion worked out. I didn't have much to, 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 um, to give back to God by way of, you know, here's the problem, God, and here's the real solution that you screwed up on. I didn't really have that. But I did have a where the hell were you? And you know what? If you should have done something or could have done something, you could have done something a little bit better than this. And then, of course, I had the other events. You know, I wrote you – I wrote just recently – uh, in my blog about how, um, and this was only, gosh, maybe, maybe two years beforehand, the, the minister at my, the church where I had grown up, uh, was, uh, arrested for having sex with the, uh, male principal of the local Christian school in a Kmart bathroom. So, you know, and, and then I've got stuff at the church where I'm going, where I'm attending uh, university in a in a you know a nearby town, nearby city. Just the kind of um, deceitful interaction, lying, power mongering, um, and I'm basically I'm looking all around me at the places where I think God should be. God should be somewhere somehow in my family. God should be somewhere somehow in these churches. In a way that I guess my expectation was. God should be more in these places than not. My family claims some sort of Christianity. There was some sort of Christian something there. So God should be somewhat somehow there. These churches clearly claim to be Christian. God should 
in some way clearly claim to be, they clearly show God's self to be there. But I wasn't seeing that. And as I began, when these events started taking place and I started looking at these, the, the, the churches and I started looking at my family and I started really looking for signs of God and not seeing any, that was disturbing to me. Um, but I guess the, so there's that part of experience that says, okay, I'm looking for, I'm looking for a reply, God. But the other part, which was more penetrating and more powerful was I began to think about what it meant to see these events in light or to see God in light of what these events would mean for who I understood God to be. And what I mean by that is this. My understanding of God, for example, let's take my dad. It's a really kind of extreme situation. But you have somebody who is, who is very abusive to his own child and children, perhaps. Uh, you know, my brother and I never really discussed this. So I don't know, I don't know how far things got with my brother. But I know that they, they got a certain distance with me in terms of my father being abusive to me. And then you have him, you know, very clearly uh, taking four lives, including his own. And in a traditional understanding of who, you know, and I'm being very general, I realize, but I, I think I can do that. In a traditional general understanding of who God is, my father is going to get punished by God. God's idea of justice, in other words, is that somehow my dad is punished. Maybe in a very traditional sense, this is my dad is going to, my dad kind of ultimately turned his back on Christianity uh, and my dad acted in these ways. So let's just say that my dad goes to hell. You know, kind of not a thing you like to be hypothetical about, but let's just put it out there. And I began to consider that in light of, you know, I'm pretty, un- I'm pretty upset with my dad. I, I, I think some of the things that have taken place are absolutely, you know, they're terrible. They shouldn't have happened. But I begin to look at God and I begin to say to myself, if this is justice, if this is God's idea of justice, I'm going to punish your dad and I'm going to send him to hell. Who is that justice for? Who is served by that justice? And who should be served by that justice? Because right now, I'm in a position of wanting some justice, right? I've, I've, had, I've been abused by my dad through my childhood. And I've had my father take away my brother, kill these other two people, disgrace our, completely disgrace my family in, in, in my community completely. Um, and, and he's dead and gone too. So I want something from God and God says, I'm going to do something for you. And I look at what God's going to do and I'm thinking, what is that? That's justice for whom? I'm involved in that. How? I never wanted my father punished. You know, as much as I'm angry with my dad, as much as I'm resentful and hurt, what I wanted from my childhood is to go fishing, you know, throw around the baseball, have some fun, etc. I didn't want to get abused. That's not what I wanted. If you really want to do something for me that is justice for me, the only way that's going to happen, the only thing that's just, that is a just response is that these things that happened did not happen. That is so interesting because not not being there and not having any sense of what that would have been like 
looking from the outside in, I would think you would want ultimate revenge. I mean, ultimate just... I love him. Really? He's my dad. I love him. Hmm. Just like anybody else loves their dad. You know, you can be totally pissed off and you can, you can hear people say and you can, they can say it to you and act like it, like I hate him, I never want to see him, blah, blah, blah. But you know that the honest truth is I think in 99.9999999, I just keep going with the nines, of cases, if you have a parent who has treated you that way and that parent comes to you and they profess a, a profound and sincere regret for what they've done and then they act on that act on that they they offer you a what you perceive to be as nothing but a genuine authentic change of face that is exactly what you want you know you might have to go through counseling you might have to yell at them you might have to do other things i don't know you might have to take them to court but ultimately what i think what people want and certainly what i wanted was i wanted a real dad I wanted somebody that I could look up to and respect. And I do, I do respect my father in certain regards. I, do, I have learned some things from him. Uh, it's, you know, it's not all bad. Uh, I'm not saying that. Um, but um, I certainly didn't have the relationship with him in the broad strokes that I would have wanted and I think any child would have wanted with their parent. And yet I loved him. You know, and this was the tension. This was part of the tension that I had to kind of reconcile of both hating what he had done and who he had been, literally hating him and, and loving him and loving some of the things that he'd done. And there was this kind of weird and weird is the best that it got, like really uncomfortable, nauseating, just lamentful intertwining of these two very opposite responses. But, you know, God's answer for justice was justice maybe for God. But, you know, what the hell? That's of no benefit to me. That was no benefit to me when I was four, five, six. That does nothing for me. All you've done is you've, you've taken a problem and you've left me with a problem. You've got a solution for you, God. Good for you. And so at the end of the day, in addition to saying, where were you and why didn't you show up? There was the question, who the hell are you anyways? You know, you may be God and you may be able to do whatever you want to do by virtue of you being God. But the end conclusion for me was, but that does not make you good. Because I've got enough of a yardstick to know that the one thing that a little kid deserves is not to get abused by their parent. That is one of the few things that I think just about every culture in the world will agree with. And hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll keep on agreeing with that because I think it's right. But if I can see that and if I can have a solution for that, you know, which maybe isn't, and I don't know how that works out. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm overstepping in terms of having a solution. I don't really have a solution. But then, you know, I guess out of that, when we're talking about experiences, I have had to, in the, in the process of being, um, completely shocked and surprised by God who showed up for me in Switzerland in 1995, 1996 in a profoundly, (laughs) just like my father was undeniably responsible for the event in a profoundly undeniable way. Um, I've had to go go through my my experiences and, and look at them again in light of that experience with God. doesn't mean that I'm not upset. doesn't mean that I don't think these things were bad. 
but it means that there's more going on there. So tie this back to the beginning where we started, because I think I'm not seeing that connection. Well, I guess my my if I'm urging something, I, I'm urging a honesty, and I'm urging an honest attachment to truth. I'm urging, in the case of my father, you know, you've got the police, the media, um, the courts, and the community, who all see things the same way. Whenever I get a lot of people agreeing, who have no good reason necessarily to agree with each other, it always makes me stand up and take notice. And if I, for example, had chosen to view matters otherwise... I would really, really have to ask myself, are you committed to the truth? Are you committed to a particular way of seeing the world? Because it gives you something by way of identity. And that's exactly what I'm talking about with Christianity. Are you committed to the truth? Or are you committed to a particular way of seeing the world? Because it somehow gives you something by way of identity. So when we come to, for example, your experience, right? The lights go down, you're at church, you're in high school, there's some, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like in a movie. It's like you're watching a movie and all of a sudden the music changes and it's this kind of eerie music. And you know something's going to happen because the music is cueing you, right? But I guess the question for me in that church setting is, are you being cued or are you having an experience? Well, I'm being, I would say I was, trying, I was being manipulated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, in hindsight, I, I don't think I realized it at the time. Uh, and... So yeah, I feel like I was being cued to have an experience and I wasn't having it. And mm-hmm. and my conclusion was that something well, so long ago, I can't even remember what my conclusions were. Looking back, I would posit that my conclusions were something's wrong with me. Mm. Does God even really exist? Mm-hmm. Um at an even deeper subconscious level. Why can't anyone help me figure this out? I'm at church after all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I remember asking my little team leader person, you know, well, how do you know God exists? And and he he could not, he could not give me any answers. He's like, well, yeah, you just kind of, just kind of know. And And I guess, and that was kind of, that was, that was my approach for several years. Well, I just, I guess I'll just kind of know eventually sometime. And, then enough of these other events happened and it was like, well, maybe it's never going to happen. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think I, th- from my perspective, from my money, what you stumbled across there and what you just, how you just communicated it, you know, I, I what did you say? I, I you just kind of know. Yeah, that's what I can, re- I mean, again, it was years ago. So I, yeah, that's my recollection. It was just, there was kind of this awkward silence of like, hmm, I, I'm not really sure what to tell you. Just kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think you've 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 hit on something there. That's it. Just doesn't work. It's like me and God and justice with my dad. It just doesn't work. And I think that that's a very truthful response. You know. Um, well, it worked. It works in the system of Christianity where everything's just kind of mysterious and we can't quite understand it. It fits right in. Just, right. But, but there's a there certain, are some things that we can't totally understand and um, I'm pushing that probably farther than it deserves, but 
Uh, and I agree with that. I don't disagree with it, but I think there's a point where an excess of mystery becomes when we start expanding the boundaries of what is mysterious, those boundaries will ultimately start moving over what is truthful. And we start losing a grasp on truth for the sake of quote unquote mystery, which ultimately means keeping something alive, like keeping a belief in God alive because it's part of my identity. Because if I don't, the implications with my parents, with my community, with my job, with all of my friends are too big for me to think about. And I think oftentimes we keep, and I'm not saying everybody's always conscious of this, but I think when we hold on to a way of existing with something that just ultimately um, doesn't work, like this whole question with me and God and justice, you know, ultimately that was the nail in God's coffin for me. You know, hey, if this is the way you are, you may exist. You know, I think you should have showed up differently for me in these events, these major events. I think you should have been somehow in these churches differently. You know, my dad could be a complete, you know, a a wicked person, but these churches could have supported me. And instead, they're places where, you know, the pastor's going off and having sex with another guy in in the Kmart bathroom, and the other ministers in the other church are, you know, one of them's trying to, like, create a coup. One guy goes on vacation, and the other guy tries to to rally the church to fire him while he's on vacation. Like, what kind of, what the hell is that? (laughs) You know? So, my, um, I I guess what I hear when you express this, you know, this, when you paraphrase this person as saying, well, you know, you you just kind of have to, you have to believe, or, you know, you just, However, he said that. Um, I think ultimately those ways of that's not a basis upon which you can create and sustain a belief. Well, yeah, and so tie. Yes, I would oh, agree. Uh, you know, I would agree. Tie it back, though. So. Well, when we're reading the Bible, when we're reading the Bible in these two different ways, right? That was uh, the original kind of. Entry point, reading it for devotion with the idea that God will kind of communicate to me or will in some way kind of rightly move me towards a right relationship with God. So it's, it's a relational way of reading the text you know, with a devotional, with a mind towards devotion. And um, the, next, um, the next one is... Um, that we're kind of reading it with a more intellectual, more academic, from a more academic perspective. We're aware of some of the difficulties that this is an ancient text, that it's written in a, in a totally different language with a very different cultural understandings to a very different audience who is expecting different things. Maybe, maybe this, is one of the, this is one of the downfalls of reading the text from a devotional perspective is that we, are, we come at it with this expectation that God's going to do something uh, to us or with us, that God is somehow going, we're going to somehow have this experience through reading the Bible that is, I mean, mysterious, uh, and God's going to somehow act. All I've got to do is kind of read this, and either I'm going to understand it the right way, or I'm going to understand something about my current situation, my current problems, my current needs, uh, whatever, through the through the text. So that's, that's one kind of aspect that I think is... Um, a bit difficult, but I don't think I'm, I'm really, with that answer, hitting on, on exactly what you were. 
Well, what I, I guess I'm trying to f- to flesh out kind of the big picture of what you're advocating. So, you, uh, what I was picking up with is a notion that sometimes people people's conclusions people are kind of locked in this cycle of forming conclusions in certain directions because to form them any other way would have other consequences uncomfortable yes. consequences so i guess what i'm trying to tie that back and but then you've also holding out this notion of the truth and the truth equaling the most accurate representation of what's really happening and so I guess I'm trying to kind of tie it back to some concrete example. The best one I can think of right now is the book Not a Fan. So mm-hmm. we would disagree that some of the conclusions or the perspectives there are, quote, true. And are you then advocating that that they're holding to those conclusions because it would... <laughs> not turn out well to have other conclusions i'm not sure how to tie this all together yeah or you can say it the opposite way that that there's certain benefit to holding those conclusions i mean i guess it's a kind of a a, a behavioral perspective where you know we do things we act in the way we act for certain reasons and i think we hold the beliefs we hold for certain reasons and i'm not saying i want to be really careful and really clear that I'm not saying that, that, that Kyle Eidelman, who is the author of Not a Fan, or someone who, you know, did, again, because we've read that book, we can take it as an example. Someone who's read that book and been transformed or would say, claim that they've been transformed through reading it. I, I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm not saying that Kyle Eidelman's experiences aren't valid. And I'm, I'm, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think we need to call into question how we've, the conclusions we've drawn from our experience and the experiences themselves. So, you know, for example, I can sit in a room and listen to a conversation and I can be there with my spouse and she can have been there the whole time and listen to the same conversation and take in different things. And there's certain things that I will emphasize and remember and certain things that I won't. And the conversation is probably larger than what I've remembered. And I can kind of get more I can my my sense of the experience is broadened by having other people contribute to it. Just like the comment I was making about uh, my dad in the accident. You know, there's not just my perspective. There's the media, the police, the courts, and the community. And I want to take all of that into consideration. And so, I guess if we look at not a fan in particular, and maybe somebody reading that and having a response to that book, or even the author in writing the book. Um, I have, I have questions along two lines. One is where the book relates to the Bible and the book cites the Bible, quotes the Bible in different places and says, the Bible says X and therefore we should do Y. You and I have spent a good amount of time looking at some of the citations in there and legitimately raising some serious questions about how well in other words, how thoughtfully, how comprehensively those citations have been added and used, rather, and how perhaps there are other ideas um, in Scripture that are completely ignored. And those other ideas are actually fairly contradictory. So in Not a Fan, for example, you have this idea of following, of taking up the cross and 
one's cross and following Jesus, and that this is a difficult thing to do. Yet you likewise have the idea uh, in Matthew where Jesus mentions very clearly, you know, come to me all you who are heavy, who are weary and heavy laden, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And we have to make sense of all of those two things together. Those two things together. Likewise, with this, this very, uh, again, this very heavy emphasis in not a fan on devotion and on effort, on, on um, defining the relationship and on, on um, I guess, willing ourselves to act in the right way. We have this contradictory idea that the, really the primary orientation is love that we are to be utterly devoted to God and rightly related to ourselves in order that we may rightly relate, i.e. love our neighbors, rightly relate to and love our neighbors. And so um, I guess for me, as I, as I think about people who may have said that they have had a, you know, very positive experiences through reading the book, and you and I have had a negative response, for example, um, I would really want to dig deeper into that. What does that experience look like? What are those things? Why, have they, why, why, do, you, why do you view them as being positive? And what, what are the things before that, that weren't positive? And, and I think these are the types of things that very rarely are examined. So, you know, what, so what I hear you saying, I think I'm starting to get it now, is to take a more holistic view. In other words, it's, it's easy to have an experience experience form a conclusion all done and i so it's what you're advocating saying let's be a little more thoughtful about the conclusions that we draw from our experiences and make sure that they are true where true equals not contradicting other things coherent is that where you're going absolutely and that our understandings so in this case not a fan relies on the bible as a guide. Well, if you're relying on the guide, it's like relying on the Bible as a map. If you got the map turned upside down or sideways, you, it'll you, take you somewhere. <laughs> it'll take you somewhere, but it might not take you where you, where you want to go. Hmm. And, and I guess the, the analogy there is when you're, um, when you're using Bible verses in a way that's questionable, you're going to get questionable results. And so there's both of those two things. On the one hand, we need to be careful about how we interact with the Bible. On the other hand, we need to be careful about how we interact with real life. We need to be careful about the conclusions we draw from our interactions with the Bible. We need to be careful about the conclusions we draw from our interactions and our experiences in real life. And I think for Christians, um, it's easier. We have more of a culture of... Um, attention to the Bible than we do have a culture of attention to our own experiences. Well, and, and well, what strikes me too is I, I feel like there's a notion that they can't be questioned. Like, I had this experience and God is, quote, working in my life in this way. Yeah. Like, if I were to tell you that, I mean, the, the rules, the unspoken rules are kind of that you can't quite, you can't really question that. Exactly. And now, I maybe you don't, maybe you shouldn't. Things. Maybe that's my job, but. Well, I think it depends, right? But I would want to, you know, as your friend, I would adv- at least, uh, you know, I think I could be um, sympathetic and give you the benefit of the doubt. And if you're positive about some sort of a change in your life, I would, in a positive sense and in a positive direction, say, tell me about that. 
you know, tell me about that. Help me understand that. But, um, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that everybody is going to become an intellectual and an introvert or, or, or an introvert that everybody's going to spend tons of time, um, looking at how they act, but really, um, you know, for people who, particularly Christians who would say, oh yeah, you're spending way too much time thinking about that. Well, Christians are, are called to be very careful about how they act. They're called to be very careful about how they engage with each other, with uh, those who are not Christians, with the world around them, and with God. So, there's a Christian obligation, as far as I can read in the Bible, to do what I'm doing, how to do what I'm suggesting, how that we go about that, and how much time we put into that is another question, but I think that it's very clear that it's something we need to do. And I don't think that it's something that is, um, like you say, it's, you can't, it can't be questioned. Or, you know, as we've talked about before, um, there's this kind of negative view of experience. So if, if you have an experience of God, well, that's a good thing. And it's really kind of, you know, not to be questioned. But if you have, uh, I don't know, you just feel like you shouldn't be going to church or whatever. Well, that's just... <laughs> you have to those have the right things. experience. No, so that's, that's, that's the wrong experience, you know? That's, that's, those are the wrong conclusions. Or your question about how do you know God exists? Well, you're not really supposed to work with that. That, that sort of misgiving you might have is not something that you should uh, dwell on. Instead, you should be taking the positive road of believing that God exists and going forward in faith and just, you know, living a Christian life and it will all work out for you. Well, what I'm saying is a lot of times what, what people take as working out for them is, is like getting undersold on a car. If the guy says, yeah, this car is going to run for six months. It's a great car. Or no, I just bought this. It's brand new. And you get it off the lot and you find out, you know, three months later, it has $10,000 worth of uh, repairs that are needed. You're going to go back to the guy and say, you sold me a bum car. But we would never do that with Christianity. If it's not working out, we can allow it to not work out and not work out and not work out. And we can still stick at it because... It can't be me. Or, you know, it can't be God. It's got to be me. So this is, this is part of the, the big issue I have is that in any other realm of our, of our lives, when it comes to money or uh, work or personal relationships, if we were to sort of get the feedback that, hey, you know, this thing is broken, we would go back and say, hey, I want my money back. Or, you know what, I want you to replace this. Because you told me this would work. The guarantee on this says it's good for, for five years. And I'm three months down the road here and this thing's like, it's like pretty much broken. But we would not do that with Christianity. Why would we not do that? Why would we not do that? Because we are more devoted to the idea that God exists than we are to the truth of God's existence. We are more devoted to the idea that Christianity should be right than to the reality, as far as we can experience, that it is right. And that is a crucial distinction. If we cannot make that distinction, then in, in very plain, simple terms, we are less devoted to truth than we are to something else. And when we're less devoted to truth, then what? Our upbringing, how our family sees us, how we look to the community if we backed out a church, then we've got a dirty big problem. Because in my mind, to, in my view, 
the two things that are principal to human existence, the two things that I need to be devoted to above all other things are love and truth, truth and love. Those two things are mutually informing. Sometimes they're going to kind of play off each other. Sometimes I'm going to have to, you know, be more attentive to one than the other. But if my, if, if my relationship with God, you know, we talk about God, Christianity being true. Well, it, it is. I think it is. But you know what? If somebody's got the experience I mentioned of the car driving off the lot and three months later, you got 10 grand worth of expenses. Let me tell you, that car just ain't working. You know, you can do, you, unless you've gone and driven it off a cliff or other things. And I guess this is what people often make it out to be. Right? I think what your example, what I'm hearing in this, you are, you know, the lights go down, you're in the church and you ask this guy at some point, you know, about, about God and, you know, how do you know God exists? Well, it's almost like, you know, John, you're driving the car off the cliff. That's why it's so broken. Don't drive it off the cliff and it'll be okay. Just stay on the road. Just, just keep driving. Ignore those little chugs and whatever. You can't start it up some days. Just kind of ignore that. It'll all get better. And I eventually guess my, the engine blows up. <laughs> well, I wonder, but the, the thing is, no, it does. Have, I mean, for me, it, yeah. it finally reached a breaking point. I don't know does, that it, re, I don't know that it reached a breaking point in turn that follows the analogy of the, the engine exploding, but over time. Yeah. Yeah. Does my point about the whole truth piece, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You, you see, the, the, I think the problem is that Christianity is its own yardstick. That's how we're taught. So when, basically when you go to the guy and says, how does God exist? How do you know God exists? Well, you, you measure God existing by being a Christian. No, he, God exists because the Bible says he exists. Well, yeah, but what does that mean? Other than the Bible saying it, other than the, the words being written on a page, exactly. like the kangaroo is no, brown. No. <laughs> the paper is blue. The chair is brown. Right. What right, does right. that mean? Yeah. I, yeah, and that's... Hmm... See, God existing means that there is evidence in existence of God. I would posit, well, then if he exists, then why am I not able to form conclusions that he exists? Yeah. And so my hope, my hope in college, my sophomore year of college, going to a Christian university, was, oh, I'm going to this class called Biblical Foundations. I'm finally going to get it. I'm finally going to be able to put the pieces together. and. Mm. I remember being so dismayed and depressed when the professors started out like the second class by saying, you know, we know the Bible is true because it says it's true. <laughs> I want to just raise my hand and say, that doesn't make any sense. But everyone, nobody around me questioned it. So once again, my conclusion was, well, I just don't get it. And hopefully someday I will. And we've been accustomed to this. We've been accustomed to accepting things that don't make sense. Like a claim is not validated by itself. A claim is validated by the proof of the claim. You know, like I can tell you why I think God exists. And I'll tell you by experiences in my life, things that have happened to me, things that I've heard about through other people. And you you may say, I disagree with you, Greg. But you're not going to say, man, that doesn't even make sense. Right? You're telling me God exists because it's written somewhere over here, God exists. No, that's just, that's just, it's written there. That's, that's, that's no sense of proof. It's a claim. And the truth value of that truth claim has to be realized. How does it get realized? It gets realized in existence in people's lives. 
Now, that may vary from person to person, right? So I may have an experience that you don't have. And you say to yourself, gee, I'd really like to have that experience. And I get that. And I, I, you know, that, that's taking the conversation down another important road, which is this whole idea of community and testimony. These two things are very important within Christianity. I think this is one of the reasons, because God is not going to appear similarly and with equal intensity and f- or f- frequency or whatever to everyone, right? And this is what, what this does is it builds relationships between people. It helps kind of edify and work with people. I mean, you can't get me to shut up about how um, important my experience of God have been. I just won't shut up about it. You know, and I, I still get, get teary and it's like 17 years later. Well, there's a value to that for the Christian community. There's a value to somebody who just won't shut up about these things and who tries to make them comprehensible, open, etc. right? But the truth claims that are there need to have, they need to be shown to have a certain truth value. And that truth value is not something airy-fairy up in the sky and mysterious. That part ain't mysterious. It's just not, or it doesn't work. And we've allowed ourselves to believe, by and large, in a lot of evangelicalism, that a truth, the truth claims in the Bible carry their own truth value. They don't. They just don't. And the stories in the New Testament and all of that, if Christianity is a historical religion, great. If you want to tell me, if we're saying back then God existed, God doesn't exist anymore. And here are the stories of what God did back then. And if you want to believe in a God that existed back then and doesn't exist now, because none of these things are going to happen now, nothing like it is going to possibly happen now, then jump on the bandwagon. This is so interesting what you're talking about. Cause, so I picked up this book the other day. It's called Misunderstood God by Darren Hufford. I think this really ties into what you're talking about. I've read about half the book, and the the overall tone of the book is is a little angry and a little abrasive, but parts of it are really refreshing. I think this this part really ties in. I'm reading from page 10. Mm. Christians think they know God because they read about him in a book. We've been taught that the more we read the Bible, the more we will know him. The Pharisees knew scripture like the back of their hands. But when God stood right in front of them, they didn't know him from Adam. Relationship with God to this generation of Christianity is all about reading the Bible. In fact, we believe so much that we have exchanged God for the Bible, attributing all the attributes of God himself to it. If we don't read it excessively or understand it, we feel lost and unspiritual. We feel a million miles from God. We have been lied to about God. That part's a little strong for me, but that's his assertion. And then he goes on. I once heard the definition of insanity is when a person does the same thing over and over, expecting different results. I believe Albert Einstein said that. I've often wondered if religion has the power to take take people's sanity. We are constantly taught to deny the truth about the results and believe something else will take place the next time around. The things we put our faith in and preach to the world are clearly not working, yet we continue to act and talk as if they are. We tie 10% of our income, and when the recession comes, we just see as many religious, we see just as many people, religious people going bankrupt as people who are unreligious. We say, a family that prays together stays together, and yet, the, some, and yet some research indicates that the divorce rate is actually higher in the church than it is in the rest of the world. And he kind of goes on in that vein. And then he says, I believe the heart of God is broken over his children's lack of knowledge of who he is. Not angry or vengeful, but simply broken. 
Imagine having the very one who is supposed to know you better than anyone in the world not even know your name. That is precisely how God feels with this generation. I get a little uncomfortable when someone speaks for how God feels about <laughs> but then I, I think this is interesting though his he, my desire is not to bring condemnation but freedom to the body of christ i do not believe that the answer is to pray for power or fire from heaven to make it all go away the answer is quite simple we need truth this book is a quest for that truth there can only be one truth and when it is found it will not contradict itself or confuse our understanding of god but it will reveal the simplicity of who he is mm-hmm well, it's kind of interesting in light of what you've been saying. I like it. I've got to say that that, that initial part you've read, uh, and I've got it actually right in front of me here because I've got the little, um, uh, you know, look inside on Amazon. Oh, you're able to see that page? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm missing page 11, so I don't have that part, but Christians think that they know God because they read about him in a book. And then um, we believe so much that we have exchanged God for the Bible. And I think there's a, certain, there's a certain sense of that, and that, that's exactly what I'm saying. And what I would say, we talked about this a little in a, a previous discussion, it's the distinction between relational knowledge and factual knowledge, right? And the Bible is giving us a lot of factual knowledge about God, and a lot of factual knowledge about God's relational aspect and character. You know, but... but and, and I, what, I've, I've, what I did in my research, because the, the words, the two words we use in English about this, like knowing about someone and being acquainted with someone, they kind of have a different intensity. Knowing seems to be much more intense and significant. It's got more density, if you like. And acquaintance is like kind of mamby-pamby. And so I've used the, the French words, and the, the German words just works, work fine too, because for both the French and the German there's no difference in intensity. That's an English thing that English just, you know, if I say I'm acquainted with somebody, um, it doesn't really carry much weight. If I say I know them, well, what do you mean you know them? Like, you know about them or it gets confusing. So I've used the French in that, but really knowing, having this kind of factual knowledge, if you like, is what we're going to get from the Bible. Having relational knowledge. I mean, I can understand what, David's relationship was like to God, or I can understand what the gospel accounts of Jesus' relationship to God were like, or understand something of Paul's relationship with God, and then understand from that something of how God would relate to me. But my, my, the real kind of, the meat of it, right, the, 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 the beauty of it is in being in relationship with God myself, and this is where the feedback loop really happens. So when I read the Bible, the Bible speaks back to me about how I've conceived my own relationship with God to be. But also, and importantly, my own relationship with God speaks back to what I'm reading in the Bible. It helps me. It orients me in the right way. Right? So my whole I've gone on and on about this, about Paul on the Damascus Road. My interpretation of what's going on with Paul on the Damascus Road is significantly based on my experience of God coming to me out of nowhere and saying to me, I love you. I love you with everything I am. And I love, I love you totally. And here's me 
in this, you know, the, the, the uh, circumstances were that I was at Labrie and I was really interested. I'd, I'd given up on God. I had seven, I'd left Christianity. I was seven, seven years, six years, not a Christian and, and really doing better, I think, than I had been as a Christian. And just, I was at Labrie at a Christian place for the sake of being, because I was in Switzerland and it was the only way I could afford it. It was a great way to travel Switzerland. And I thought, you know, while I'm there, I'm just going to try to let go of some of my hostility to these stupid Christians and their harmful beliefs. I'm just going to say, you know what, I can be around these people and I cannot get angry. And here, instead, I have this, this series of very powerful events and this, you know, constellation of really important new understandings of God that are completely transformative. And so for me, when I read, again, the Damascus Road and Paul, I'm, I'm seeing that in light of my own experience and going, oh my God, this guy thought he was so right on. He was so doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was the best follower of God. And you know what? He was the worst. And God pointed it out to him and said, you know, you're persecuting me. And instead of utterly dismissing this guy, which could have been the best he could have hoped for, you know, should have been absolutely uh, punished and, 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 and just denigrated. But instead of any of those things, he's given the most wonderful, intimately, wonderful task that is so intimately related to who God is, what God wants, ultimately where, where this, this person Saul wanted to be going. That feedback loop is essential. And it, for me, when I read things and not a fan, uh, you know, when Kyle Eidelman is saying things like, this, you know, we need to make less, there needs to be less of us so there can be more of God's spirit. And my response is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Number one, when you're reading that in Galatians, and I think that's in Galatians 2, 20 and 21, he, he cited some verses, you've misunderstood the covenantal context of that chapter and of that entire book. You've misunderstood it. So one, there's a problem with exegesis. But number two, there's the experiential feedback loop. I'm like, that is not my relationship with God. That is not what God is telling me. That is not what God is wanting of me. That is not what God is encouraging in me. That is not the difference between the Christianity I had then and the Christianity I have now. Between the Christianity that didn't work, that was broken, that was this car that I drove off the lot that kept stalling and I should have gone and got my money back and eventually I did. And this, this car I've got now, let me tell you about the car I've got now, quite something. But how do you get out of the situation, though, where it's – what's coming to me, though, it's, it feels like it's just your experience against Kyle's. He, he would – I'm sure he's reading the Bible and he's having this feedback loop and he's forming conclu- – like you guys have formed opposite conclusions. Yeah, we have. Well, I, I guess there's two ways to get out of that. One is you can look at the exegesis. So you've got something that you can look at. And I can go back and I can make an argument from that. You know, and as I said in an earlier podcast, if, if Kyle Adelman, as far as I know, he authored that book. His name's on it. And I know that there's the publishers have input. You know, definitely publishers can uh, say you've got to expand this and narrow that. But I've got to think that if he wanted to put enough if you like, uh, 
exegetical evidence for what he's saying in that book he could have. And he didn't. He was very light on that. Very scanty. And I think I can go in. I think I can provide in, in each one of these situations we've talked about in our podcast on Not a Fan. Um, I've tried to provide uh, support for my position. So on the one hand, I guess I would say, yeah, it's, it's completely down to you, John, as the third party. You know, Greg's saying this and Kyle's saying that. How do you figure it out? Well, I would go in and see what you think of the material. What do you think about how he's used the biblical text? And what do you think about what I'm suggesting? And then, you know, on the other hand is, it is experiential, but it's not just my experience and Kyle's experience. It's your experience. If you are willing to get involved in this, right, Christianity is not about just being an observer. It's about being a participant. So if you as a participant in Christianity, if you're doing this and you're uh, in this, and you, I guess my question would be, well, how have you chosen to do this? Between these two options, the one I'm proposing and Kyle's, what have you chosen? And then my question would be, how's it working out for you? And a lot of people have chosen what Kyle's chosen. I understand that. And my question for them is still, how is it working out for you? What does this mean for you? And I think, I think there are a few more pieces to it too. Like um, maybe another key piece is I would expect someone who is a Christian to be able to tell me why in a way that makes sense to me. You don't have to convince me based on your reasons for being a Christian that I should be one if, for example, I'm not. But it should make sense to me. And one of the things that I find very frequently with evangelicals is they don't have any information. They don't have any reason. You know, um, I, I, it's like the person you spoke to. How do you know that God exists? Well, you just kind of uh, keep going with it. That has nothing to do with God existing. It has to do with whether you stick with the church or not stick with the Christian, Christian belief or not. So, I mean, all of those things for me are pointers. And I guess it's, it depends on what you're, what you're willing to accept. A lot of people are, seem to me to be willing to accept the car that uh, seems pretty broken. And they're telling themselves, they're telling other people that the car really is working well. And what all I take from this, or the, the biggest thing I take from that is, I don't see... I don't see a lot of honesty there, and I don't see a lot of attachment to truth. And I think we need to be more attached, and I know this is going to sound completely radical, we need to be more attached to truth than our beliefs. If our beliefs show themselves to be false, if we try over and over and over and over again to start the car, then we can't claim the car starts well. We just can't, because it doesn't. And maybe there's something that I'm doing incorrectly. Maybe I'm not using the right key. But if we've gone through, if we've looked at it, if we've given it our honest best shot and said, you know, I'm not really messing around here. I'm really trying to make this work and this isn't working. Then it might be that the problem is with the car and not with you. And maybe you need to get a different car. <laughs> and of course, when you put that to, to you know, and, and I did that. I did that. I had a car that wasn't working and I said, you know, forget this car. I'm not interested in this car. It doesn't work. I'm not interested in these beliefs. They don't work. This God, even if this God is real, is not somebody, this whole idea of justice and, and, and how that worked out with my dad. I don't want that. No, thank you. You know, to use uh, Dostoevsky's metaphor, 
um, he's talking about, you know, one of the characters is going to the theater. God is like, you know, you're going to the theater and you've got a ticket to the theater and, and you just say to God, you know, I don't want to go. Here's my ticket back. And I think sometimes we need to do that. Whether that means not going to church, not praying, um, you know, taking a different line of investigation about why we're acting the way we do, or whether it means, you know, chucking the whole thing wholesale. I think that that's, that, that that's quite reasonable and sometimes entirely necessary if, if our devotion is to truth. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you as a Christian. I'm talking to you as one who is utterly devoted to God. I pray. I believe in God. God is real. God is not an idea in my mind. God is a real entity who exists. Uh, God is, is three in one. I believe in the Christian God. Uh, I believe in the, in the reality that uh, in time, uh, Jesus will uh, reappear, will, will re-manifest, that, the God, that God's kingdom, as it's described and announced in the, kingdom, in the, the New Testament and as it has been inaugurated by Jesus, will become the reality. It is coming and will be in its completion. And there will be nothing else. I believe in all of those things completely. But I still believe that sometimes in the pursuit of truth, you need to chuck Christianity. The reality is that there, the phenomenon of false religion is, is, is real. There are, just as, just as the prophets said to the, to the Israelites, you know, those people weren't, weren't hiding or pretending or thinking, you know, I'm going to screw over God. They were doing the thing that they thought was right. And they were completely out to lunch. And that can happen. It can happen. Just as it happened to the Israelites in, the, in, the, in biblical times in the ancient Near East, just as it can happen in, to, to the uh, Judean community in first century Palestine, it can happen today. We can be completely out to lunch. And if you come from a tradition that's out to lunch, your best option is to check out. Because if God is truth, and if you are dedicated to truth above all other things, my belief is you'll reconnect with God. That is certainly what happened to me. And of course, because God is love, right? Because for me, uh, the final straw was this notion of God's justice. And it's like, justice for whom? You sending my father to hell sure is not justice for me. And God's response, in quotation marks, response was, ah, but you've forgotten my love. These two things are absolutely co-central to who God is and what God's about. And they happen to be co-central to me as a human being. This is the interface that makes it work. So if we are not devoted to truth, and if we are not open to love, we are going to have a hard time connecting with God. Even if we're in church, even if we're a Christian. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so leave a comment on iTunes or at the website untanglingchristianity.com slash five. We also welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Tune in next week for a new episode.
Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to Incompetech.com. I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H dot com. 